Good morning. We continue to part two of the sermon I started last Sunday, What Am I Worth? By way of review, if you were not here last Sunday, you can go online. The message is there. But let me kind of review what I said last Sunday. There are two systems for determining your worth or your significance. And they are in direct conflict with one another. They are fighting with each other every day that you exist. And those two systems are the world and God himself. The world determines your worth, your value, and your significance by how you perform and by people's opinions. And if you understand that, that is a very subjective way of determining value. They look at such things as your possessions, your accomplishments, your experience. And those help the world determine how much you are worth, if you are truly significant or not. And that's why the unborn and the elderly are perceived as having little or no value. We live in a world where life is cheap. And that's why I preached this message starting last week for Right to Life Sunday. There is a push in our culture for abortion and euthanasia. And it's happening all over the place and all over the world. It's sad. It's sad. But if you buy the world's valuation process, you have to logically come to that conclusion. However, God declares our significance. He declares it. And that's independent of my thoughts, my feelings, even my actions. God says, you have worth. Now, as I thought about this last night and was putting this all back together and kind of going through it, why do we argue with God? Why do we hear what he declares about us and we say to God, oh, but I'm still such a worm. I'm such a sinner. Do I really have that kind of worth in your eyes? And, and we argue with God and it's like, okay, who's going to win the argument? God is. So let's just stop arguing with him. I said last week that God declares our significance by creating us in his image. And that is a fact, which gives us dignity. He declares our significance by creating you to care for his creation, which gives us purpose. He declares our significance by calling you his masterpiece which gives us worth and beauty. God declares our significance and our worth by designing a pre-planned future for us. And that gives us destiny and a hope. He has a plan for us. Each one of us, he knows us not only by name, that's true, he counts the number of hairs on your head. Some of you, it's a small number. For many of us, it's constantly a changing number. 
And he doesn't need a supercomputer to keep track of that. He knows you intimately. God declares our significance by sending Jesus Christ to die on a cross for you, to purchase you out of the slave market of sin, which means if he had to send his son to pay the price, then you have extreme value and worth to God because of what he paid for you. Now that's all by way of review. But I want to do part B today that has just warmed my heart and my thinking so much. I want us to look at the practical theology of our situation. Or what am I saying? What has the blood of Jesus Christ accomplished for us? when it comes to our matter of worth before God. So if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 to 11, page 1304, there in the Pew Bible. We're going to look at five passages this morning that speak directly to our worth from God's perspective. When he declares our significance, when he declares our worth, he doesn't do that in a vacuum. He does it based upon theological truth. And I want you to see that this morning. 1 John 4, verses 9 to 11. Let's start at verse 7 to give you some context. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Propitiation. And you're saying, so what? Let me give you a definition. Propitiation is a perfect sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. Propitiation, definition, a perfect sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. That's propitiation. Now, how do we know God loves us? We, we sang it this morning. I love the song selections this morning. Well, in the passage, verses 9 to 11, we see three times in three verses, God loved us. God loved us. And do we need proof? Do we need proof that he, it was demonstrated or made manifest among us? There's four things in those three verses. Number one, God sent his only son into the world. He sent his son to be among us. He just didn't shout it from heaven, I love you. 
He sent his son to walk among us so we could talk with him, we could touch him, we could see his actions, we could understand his heart. And he sent his only son. The purpose, number two, was so that we might live through him. That is acknowledging that we were dead. Now, people are walking all around us who look alive. They are alive physically. But they're dead spiritually. And before Jesus Christ, the whole world was dead spiritually. Starting from the Garden of Eden until the death of Christ, man was dead. Thirdly, God initiates. Notice verse 10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. God initiates. Now, why is that so important? Because you would think it would be like, well, we love you, God. And God says, well, because I love, because I love God, God's going to send his son. That's not how it works. God looked down at us and said, you're spiritually dead. There's nothing you can do to wipe out your sin issue with me. So I'm going to initiate, I'm going to send my son into your world so that he might die for you. Now we know that story, but we often forget where were we when all this was taking place? We were his enemies. And it wasn't because God was ticked off. It was because we were shaking our fist in God's face and saying, I don't want you as part of my life. We were the hostile ones, not God. And we were bitter enemies. And while we were his bitter enemies, God initiates and puts this plan into action for you and for me. Number four, do we need proof that God loves us? Yes, because Jesus Christ was sent, verse 10, to be the propitiation for our sins. That big word. Jesus was sent to satisfy God's wrath for our sins. I was the enemy. I was the one that walked away from God. I'm the one that lived in a life of sin. And God is initiating all of this on my behalf. See, God sent the remedy for our predicament. We were sinners, dead, needing life, guilty, needing propitiation. And here's the paradox. God is loving and yet wrathful. We have violated his holiness. And yet his love provides a solution that averts his wrath from us. See, God saw our need and said, they have a spiritual need they can't even begin to touch. 
I am going to step in and do whatever necessary to change that. Therefore, I am deeply loved. Does that make sense this morning? When you see how God has initiated all this towards me and towards you, I couldn't do anything about it. John says in 1 John 4, you are loved, loved, loved by God. Now, how deeply he initiates it, he sends the remedy, he makes it all possible. Therefore, I am deeply loved. Don't lose sight of that. Say that with me. I am deeply loved. Deeply loved. Well, we could just stop right there and go home, amen? But I got four more that just rocked me. Number two, turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, verses 8 and 9, page 1198, there in the Pew Bible. Starting at verse 6 for context, but while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, Paul's talking about us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Verse 8. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. To fill in the blank there at B, justification is there in the text. Justification. Now let me give you a definition because justification is a legal term. It's to declare righteous. It's to be right before God by virtue of Christ's shed blood. It is the judge banging the gavel and saying, they are now right with me. It does not mean just as if I've never sinned. Take that out of your thinking. Because that just takes me from negative sinner to zero. Just as if I've never sinned. When God declares us righteous, he takes us from sinner and lost and dead past zero to Christ's righteousness imputed to my account. Another accounting term. It's reckoned to me. It's put to my account. It's not as if I've never sinned. No, I as if I am as righteous as Jesus Christ. It doesn't match. But that's what the judge says. Justification. See, in this passage, God's love is contrasted with human love, and God's love is overwhelming. You know, we often hear verse 8, but verse 9, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, we have been declared righteous, Christ's righteousness, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of 
God. It's a blessing that we will be delivered out of the outpouring of God's wrath on the unrighteous. If I have one ounce of sin left in my life, can God's righteous wrath be poured out on me? The answer is yes. But it's all taken away. All of my unrighteousness becomes now Christ's righteousness due to this process called justification. There's now a new set of conditions. We're no longer guilty sinners. We are now, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, counted righteous by God the judge. And if he has paid the greatest price to bring us into his favor, he will not allow us to perish in the end. Amen? He saved us. So justification, therefore, I am completely forgiven. Let that soak in. I am completely forgiven because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that means my present failures don't make me unworthy of his love because he's declared me righteous. That means when God looks down at me, he doesn't see a speck of sin in my life. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when his wrath one day will fall, those of us who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ will never have to struggle with will I ever be under his condemnation? The answer is No. So, say these words with me. I am, let's go back to number one. I am deeply loved and now completely forgiven. Does that kind of warm you a little bit this morning? Well, let's go on. Let's go to Romans 5.1. Stay on the same page there. And to fill in the blank at Romans 5.1, the word justification appears again. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there's that word, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This justification is our objective legal standing before the judge. And the blessing of justification, according to Romans 5, 1, is peace with God. Now, We're not responsible for making peace. We are responsible for enjoying peace with the judge. This is not a sense of subjective tranquility. Oh, peace. But it is the end of hostility between a king and a rebellious and guilty set of subjects. That's who we are. Because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the king and us are no longer at war. We're no longer under the fear of judgment because the king who is righteous 
has seen his subjects rebel. That's us. And justification changes us from foes to friends by a miracle called grace. Therefore, I am fully pleasing. I am fully pleasing. The king doesn't have a beef with me. He doesn't have a beef with you because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You are now friends with the king. So let's stack these up. Let's go back to number one. I am, say it with me, deeply loved. Secondly, I am completely forgiven. Thirdly, I am fully pleasing. Colossians chapter 1, page 1252 there in the Pew Bible. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. The word to put in there, these are all big theological terms, reconciliation. Reconciliation. Let me read Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Reconciliation. Definition, the removal of enmity that stands between people and God. The barrier between God and us because we have rebelled. Reconciliation is the basis of restored fellowship between the king and the people. It's not a legal term. It's a relational term. And what's so amazing in this process called reconciliation, there was a barrier put up between a holy God and sinful people. And God, through the death and shed blood of Jesus Christ, removes the barrier. It's no longer there. But before our conversion, notice in verse 21, We were his enemies and we were hostile to him, both in our mind and in our evil deeds, our behavior. And often, no, I would say almost always, that hostility begins in our mind, our thinking, and it lives itself out in our actions. I understand why there was a barrier between a holy God and a hostile people. But as a result of the death of Christ and his shed blood applied to our lives, look at verse 22. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order order to present you. Now these words, you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. See, the result of Christ's death in your life as you have embraced him is you now in God's sight are holy, you are without blemish, 
And I just loved this idea of above reproach. You are free from accusation. You are free from all charges because of the merits of the death of Jesus Christ. Because of reconciliation, therefore, I am totally accepted. God sees me as holy, blemish-free. No charges can be brought against me. Doesn't it say in Romans 8, who can lay a charge against God's elect? Say them with me, starting with number one. I am deeply loved, completely forgiven, fully pleasing, and now totally accepted. Stay in Colossians for our last one. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. Start at verse 8 to put it in context. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Uh, Our word is not in that text, but the word is regeneration. Regeneration. Definition, new spiritual life of God that he places in a person. He imparts to us his divine nature in us. All the fullness of God is in Christ, and we have been given fullness in Christ. And it says, we share in Christ's power and authority. I don't fully understand the depths of that, but it's true. Because of my union with Christ, because of his shed blood, God now puts new life in my person. He regenerates me. And you have been filled in him. Therefore, I am complete in Christ. We have everything we need in Christ. So say the five with me, if you would. I am deeply loved, completely forgiven, fully pleasing, totally accepted, complete in Christ. That's the theology. As you hear those five phrases, do you understand now that you have great worth to God? And you have great worth to one another as part of the body of Christ. Think about those five phrases. I am deeply loved. I don't need to perform to have value to anyone. I am completely forgiven. My failures don't make me unworthy of his love. Do all of us have failures in our lives? 
and you are completely forgiven. I am fully pleasing. Which means I am now at war with Satan, not with the king of the universe and the king of my life. I've changed one battleground for another. But to the king, I am fully pleasing. I am totally accepted. I don't need to earn my approval. And finally, I am complete in Christ. What I am is changing by the power of the Holy Spirit in me because right now I have everything I need in Christ. Would you just take a moment and marvel at God's plan for you? Would you just sit in the pew there in silence and would you worship God that the creator of the universe says to you, you're deeply loved. I've worked it out that you're completely forgiven. You are, I find you fully pleasing. I I totally accept you. And I, I have put into you divine nature in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you just in silence right now, just thank God Praise him for what he has done. Father, you are so wonderful. But I must say one more thing. There may be people here this morning or listening to this recording who have heard this truth. And it's only true if you have embraced the Savior. If you have said, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I can't go from death to life spiritually. I don't have what it takes. I need a Savior. And maybe this is the morning you've sat here for years. You've heard the truth. And maybe today is the day you embrace it. You admit, I need a Savior. My faith I'm going to place in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on my behalf so that I can experience God's deepest love, complete forgiveness, that I'm fully pleasing, totally accepted, and I'm complete in Christ. Only through the blood of Christ is that possible. See, you understand, the world is attacking these truths. The enemy wants you to adopt a performance mentality. I got to do the right things for God. No. We need to remind each other of the realities of these truths. That God is crazy about you. And he has initiated all of this to restore the relationship between you and him. And he invites you today to place your faith in him. Let's pray.